We absolutely love our grandchildren. We love the opportunity to give them Coca-Cola and Oreo cookies for breakfast and send them back to their parents. <laughs> People say, why do grandparents have such a wonderful relationship with grandchildren? It's easy. They have a mutual enemy. <laughs> Probably not good family conference topics and teaching, but we have thoroughly enjoyed our grandchildren. I know I have a home on wheels. We'll come into the We'll come into their area. We plug in the power, and it's really neat. We go in there and spend time with them. About the time I'm tapped out, they start saying, where's Grandpa? Where's Grandpa? And Grandma tells them, he's in the motorhome. What's he doing there? <laughs> Getting a cup of coffee. Can we see him? Door's probably locked. <laughs> I recharge for about four hours, and then I go back into the fray. Amen. So good to have you young people over on that side. And uh, hopefully you're glad to be here as well. I have a thank you note I want to read. Uh, and this thank you is from the Summerdorfs. And uh, everywhere I go, I read these things now. People say, why do you do that? Well, we save a stamp. So we're under budget cuts, strict sequestration here in this ministry. So we're going to read it. Dear Dr. Van Manen. <laughs> Dr. Van Manen. Amen. This is Nurse Summerdorf here. Dear Dr. Van Manen and church family, a quick note to thank you for the opportunity to spend the day with you and to worship and fellowship together in the Lord. Though our stay was brief, we appreciate your care of us during our time together. Thank you so much for the wonderful meal you treated us to at Cracker Barrel, Pastor Tony and Sister Amy, and of course we have to say Miss Autumn and Miss Sophie. Yeah. You guys were a blessing to have with. We learned a lot about your family. Yeah. <laughs> Illustrations I'll use in the next church I come to. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the meal as well as the sweet fellowship that accompanied it. Additionally, heartfelt gratitude in advance for the love gift bestowed upon us. We know it will be more than we deserve. We're always humbled by your love and generosity. We are already looking forward to our next time together. Until then, may you continue face-to-face, side-by-side, and that'll be the message tonight, with one another and with our Savior. Semper Fi. Anybody knows what that means? All right, Marine Corps lingo, always faithful. All our love and thanks, Brother Dave and Miss Deb. And uh, P.S., appreciate the individual gifts, words of encouragement showered upon us. So, Pastor, if you come, I want to give you this. I want to also give you, I call them... I always call matching his and her prayer cards. Okay. Some of you got that. <laughs> All right. So there's the thank you. There's the prayer cards. There's our recent, most recent ministry letter. Being bulk mail or whatever has never figured out how to get you my mail. And so I'm going to hand deliver that one. And then the series I'm preaching today, The Household of Epaphroditus. And this was preached a number of years ago. Studio edited. Our children sing at the end of every one. And you have permission to copy those, no charge, if anybody wants those, uh, and you prefer those over what you heard today. They're no easier, I'm just going to tell you. The messengers are still just a challenging. But, uh, Pastor, thanks for having us. Lord bless you. Take your Bibles tonight. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Good to have you here this evening. Good to have some visitors as guests and guests as well that Deb and I spent time with many, many years ago in the the mid-1980s, we have guests from 
our first ministry experience in Alaska. We appreciate Brother Steve being here, Miss Linda being here, and the lady seated next to my wife. Uh, my wife, when she and I were newly married, my wife did not have a driver's license. And I think we went for a number of years before you finally got your license. So there was a lady that would literally pick all the mommies up with all the kids. That She'd take them to the mall for two or three hours while we men were working. Uh, she was just like a mother to all of these young ladies, newly, newly married girls. And that lady sitting next to my wife is that one who did that, Miss Linda. Just a huge blessing to us in our early married years. And then Steve right behind her. I think most of you know Brother Steve, don't you? He's a mess. He's a mess. A line driver. We used to call him Climberizer. And uh, he got saved early in the ministry at Kingsway Baptist Church. Dear friend over all these years. And we appreciate you guys coming. Philippians chapter 2. You may remain seated. I want to read three verses, beginning in verse 25. A very obscure individual here is brought up forward for our consideration by the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. So obscure, he's only mentioned twice in your Bible, and in both times it's in this epistle to the church of Philippi. And though obscure, he, he has three incredible titles Paul gives him. Only man in the Bible to get these three titles. Notice what Paul says of this man. In verse 25 of Philippians 2, he says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Here comes the three titles. My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Notice verse 29, he says to them, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Notice the reason why. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I want to conclude tonight with the Lord's help, a series we began this morning focusing on this individual named Epaphroditus. It was in the form of a question that I challenged you, and it was this, are you of the household of Epaphroditus? Could it be said tonight that you, like him, are of the household? of Epaphroditus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this evening for the great privilege and the great honor we have to be gathered in your son's name, in your house. Father, to hear your word preached to us, to be challenged by your spirit, Lord, thank you for the honor to call you Father. We ask tonight in your son's name that you would use the example of this man to challenge us in another relationship you want us to enjoy with one another. Not simply brothers and sisters, not simply fellow laborers, but tonight, fellow soldiers. Father, we ask that you would give us grace. May we, like Paul, at the end of our life, be able to say, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The household of Epaphroditus. I noted this morning as we begin this thought that Paul gives this man three titles, if you will. He calls him a fellow brother, he calls him a fellow laborer, and then he refers to him as a fellow soldier. And these three titles, they represent relationships that Paul enjoyed with this man. 
And I want to suggest for your consideration tonight, I believe those three relationships are what your and my Savior wants us to enjoy with one another and with Him as well. The first relationship we noted, Paul referred to him as a fellow brother. He said, my brother, and we noted this morning that was an incredible title. When you consider who these men were and where they came from. Paul, the ultra-Orthodox Jew, and Epaphroditus, the pagan Gentile. And I noted that men like these for centuries had absolutely nothing in common. But then one day someone came along and changed all of that, his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the instant that occurred, when their paths crossed with him, suddenly they entered into a unique relationship that they had never had before. They became fellow brothers in the Lord. May I remind you tonight that when Jesus Christ showed up, he affected vertical relationship and he affected and impacted horizontal relationships forever. Vertically, he exposed the Holy of Holies and said, Whosoever will may now come. Amen? We call that the priesthood of the believer. But second of all, he broke down all those walls of partition horizontally between men and women, boys and girls, and now we have a common bond in Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're saved tonight, you're a fellow brother, fellow sister of mine in the Lord. Amen? And the instant that happened, we entered into what we said was a face-to-face relationship. You see, fellow brothers and fellow sisters enjoy fellowship, which is social communication. We, though we're very diverse, now suddenly have a common Savior. We sing the same song. We're going to the same heaven. And we got someone to talk about that we both share. Amen? He was the one who brought us into fellowship with the Father, but he's also the one that brought us into fellowship with one another. May I say again tonight, when we gather tonight as we are, we're not gathering in your name, and we're not gathering in my name. We're not gathering in pastor's name. We're gathering in his name. He's the one who combined us. Amen? He's the one that brought us together. So we see the first relationship was a fellow brother But then we saw a second relationship. As they grew, they enjoyed a second relationship. He called him a companion in labor. And we noted this morning that the first relationship is face-to-face, but that second relationship is side-by-side, co-laboring with the Lord. And I reminded you this morning that you and I, we were saved to serve. Amen? You know, there's no unemployment lines in the kingdom of heaven. Sadly today, and it needs to be said again, that oftentimes in America, I watch this happen, Christianity becomes a spectator sport. We're just going to come and we're just going to listen. We're not going to get committed. We're not going to get too involved. And at the end of this whole deal, preacher, we'll let you think of what we thought about your message. I mean, we're so trained to do that, aren't we? You pay the price and you watch the game. Amen? And you say, well, I paid the price and I'm listening to him. You know, But we get this whole thing wrong. I'm not the performer tonight. You're not the audience and God's not the prompter. You know, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the prompter. You and I are the performers. And God is the audience. 
watching to see if you're going to do something with what's been preached. Amen? That's how heaven works. That's how it works. My wife is so fond when she comes into a, uh, she comes into a ladies' meeting. She'll hold ladies' meetings, and she'll have an opportunity. And many times, she'll look at the ladies, and she'll begin, and she'll say, Now, ladies, the first thing I need you to know is that we have a vitamin A deficiency. Of course, everybody's radar goes up because we're pill poppers, and we wonder, oh, what am I missing? You know. And they look at her somewhat quizzically, and she says, we have a deficiency and we lack application and action. Amen? Yeah, that's so true today. We notice here as fellow laborers that you and I are in the harness together. And go to Galatians 5. I'll give you one verse and then I want to move into the thought tonight. You and I need to recognize tonight that you and I were saved to serve. Galatians tells us that. Galatians Chapter 5, and notice in verse 13. Galatians 5, 13, it says this, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Amen? You and I were saved to serve. And the first relationship is enjoyable. I love fellowship. I love talking about the Lord. But let me tell you this, there's a second relationship. It's side by side, and that's laboring for the Lord. Amen? But there's a third relationship tonight, and I want you to notice it. Paul here in Philippians 2 says this in verse 25. He says, yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, number one, number two, companion in labor. And then he gives him this third title, and fellow soldier. He notes, I think the highest relationship we could ever enjoy with someone else is a fellow soldier. And notice here, as Paul notes this highest level of relationship that he enjoyed with this man, in noting it, we're reminded that the Christian walk includes warfare. Amen? I'm not talking about physical war warfare. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. The Christian walk includes warfare. Listen to these texts. If you're taking notes, let me just, I'll read them to you quickly. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Sounds like a battle to me. Amen. In 1 Timothy 6, 12, he commands Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. That sounds like a battle to me. In, first, in, in Ephesians 6, in verse 10, he says, take unto you and put on the whole, what? Armor of God. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 3, he commands Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And Paul, looking back at his entire Christian life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, says this, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. The Christian walk includes warfare. American Christianity doesn't want to endure hardness. American Christianity doesn't want to go ahead and fight some fight. We want to just enjoy fellowship. But it is part of the Christian walk, and Paul notes it when he calls him a soldier. And ours is a very unique battle. How many fronts do Christians fight? We have what? One front? Two front? Three? What kind of war? What is the battlefield conditions for a believer when you get saved? How many, how many fronts 
are we fighting? Anybody know? Throw them out. Guess. I've got a three here. What's that? One. I got a one over here. You're all looking at me. We have three enemies the day we get saved. So let's, and you say, well, why? You? Listen, if you can't identify the enemy, you're already done. The enemy, uh, enemy has to be identified for you to fight a good fight. Amen? Are you just going to beat up the wrong person, the wrong thing, or not even go ahead and get to the point of contact to make a difference? So enemy number one is Satan. Let's just throw that one out. Amen? He is not a friend. He's an enemy. He cannot make you sin, but he can tempt you. He can go ahead and bring things past you. Enemy number one is the devil. He's real. He doesn't necessarily hate you. He hates who you belong to. But the day you get saved, you inherit him as an enemy. Amen? Front number one is Satan. Second front is the world. Is the world. The world system that tries to replace the Lord's. Isn't it interesting? Paul said of this world, he said, I am crucified to the world, and the world is crucified unto me. What he's saying is the world, and let's picture it, the party life, amen, the materialism that people live for, all of that. He's, Paul says, you know, when I show up at the party, they think I'm dead. I kill the whole thing. That's what he says. In fact, when I show up, they wish I wasn't there. I mean nothing to them. That I ruin their plans. That's what he says. They treat me as if I'm dead. And then here he flips it. Americans, listen. And I treat the world as if she's dead. She means nothing to me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is all going to pass away. You know, I meet people all the time. They go ahead and they spend their entire life and they spend all of their health buying things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even care about. The American dream oftentimes is just a nightmare. Paul says, that world can't stand me. I see it for what it is, therefore I can't stand it. Because it supplants the security of a Savior. It makes people think they're okay when they're not. And it takes attention off of what's real, which is heaven, and places it on what's temporary, which is going to vanish away every bit of it. So front number one is the devil. Front number two is this world. But front number three, what is your third battle? What is it? Your flesh. Your old sin nature. That wants to be elevated and worshipped and ego stroked you your old nature the deceitful desperately wicked heart there's the worst of the three for there's the enemy in our campfire every night and something I know about battles Two front, no one's ever won them. Three front, desperate. 
And in this battle, as fellow soldiers of the Lord, you and I need to recognize that with the world, the flesh, and the devil continually barraging from within and without, this oftentimes becomes a very desperate battle for us to maintain a testimony, to be effective for our Savior, to keep the focus on the spiritual, not on the... It becomes a battle. And in those moments, you and I must be able to count on each other completely. Amen? As fellow soldiers, we have a unique relationship. Pastor Scamper up here. As fellow soldiers, we have a very unique relationship. Fellow brothers, face to face. Fellow laborers, that was scampering. Fellow laborers, side by side. Side by side. Side by side. All right? Fellow laborers, side by side. But fellow soldiers, look that way. Turn that way. We go back to back. We guard each other at all expenses. The battle is so intense, I need him to hold his position or I become exposed and he is counting on me to hold my position. He has no time to check my faithfulness. He has no time to check my loyalties. He has no time to double check that. His plate is full and we are counting on each other to hold our positions. We as brothers and fellow soldiers, we go back to back. Amen? All right, brother, thank you. Complete trust and reliance is what that pictures. Now watch, go back to, with me, 1 Samuel in chapter 18. I want to say tonight that this relationship is the highest of all. This is, this is a relationship that every married, married couple ought to have, by the way. This is a relationship every pastor ought to have with his people and his people with their pastor. This is the relationship parents should have with their children. This is the relationship fellow believers in a local church ought to have as well. For we're privy to private info. We have private intel that we could use against someone else, but instead we guard them at the expense of our life. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 18, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see an interesting moment in history. David has just defeated Goliath. And notice what happens following this incredible victory in 1 Samuel 18, 6. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, look at this, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy and with instruments and music. Look at the song they sang, verse 7. The women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. To me they have ascribed but thousands. And look at what he says. And what can he have more but the kingdom? In verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Following an incredible victory, God's name got exalted. The kingdom of darkness got defeated. The camp of Israel was rescued. The king himself was saved by the efforts of David. Following that, the seeds of envy get sown in the heart of the king. And shortly thereafter, the cruel messenger of betrayal gets dispatched. Look at chapter 19. In a single verse, it sums up the heart of Saul. In 1 Samuel 19, in verse number 1, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants, What's the king's command? Kill David. Kill who? David. The one who just God used to bring the victory. The sweet psalmist of Israel. 
The one who just chased God with all his heart, a man after God's own heart. The king says, kill him. The seeds of envy sown, the cruel messenger of betrayal is dispatched. And we see David's cry in Psalm 55. If you turn there, the Spirit of God catches his heart at this moment when he sees what's going on. He cannot believe it. And look at his cry here in Psalm 55. In Psalm 55, in verse number 12, David says this, For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. David's saying, hey, I expect that from an enemy. That's what enemies do. When your back is turned, they go after you. When you're outside of the room, they're the ones who talk about you. That's what enemies do. I expect that. He says this, Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. I could have seen that one coming. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. You know, can I say tonight as I look at Christianity, as I look at marriages, as I look at our homes tonight, as I look at our churches tonight, there is nothing more destructive and demoralizing as friendly fire. I served in the Corps. I wasn't combat, but I've talked to enough guys to know, you know, it's bad enough to have the enemy take you out. But to have one of your own it will mess you up. You look at Pat Tillman, and I tap Pat because Pat, we respected him. He was making multi-millions playing for the Cardinals as a professional football player. He turned down those contracts. P.S., he didn't take a knee. He turned down those contracts and went ahead and took up a weapon and went to defend our country. He donned the beret, and he went out to... Fight for your freedom and my freedom. And the heart of every American absolutely was moved by a guy who turned down all that money to go ahead and put on a uniform and fight for you and me. And boy, did we mourn when we found out he died. But you know what really made it bad? Was how he died. He was fragged by one of our own, a fifty caliber. Mistaken identity, I don't know what, but... He got killed by our own, and then there was a cover-up trying not to let that be known, and then it got found out. And I'm going to tell you something about Pat Tillman's family. I've researched I looked at it. They are bitter, angry, messed-up people to this day. They have never gotten over how they lost Pat, not just that they lost him. You know something I've noticed? I've watched and met all over America bitter, angry, messed-up Christians that had that happen to them. You with me? I've met up bit, met busy, messed up, bitter, uh, uh, bitter, messed up people that had a marriage go south like that, where somebody betrayed them, somebody was unfaithful. You with me? There's something about friendly fire. You don't see it coming. You don't expect it. And when it shows up, it messes you up big time. David recognizes this. He's struggling with what just took place. And in 1 Samuel, if you go back there, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, 
David's cry, his, 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 his heart cries out as he realizes the king he fought with, the king he fought for, just turned on him. And what he couldn't get in Saul, though, he found in a man named Jonathan. Watch this in 1 Samuel 20. David is fleeing from Saul in verse number 1. He meets with Jonathan secretly. And look at what he says in verse 3. And David swore moreover, 1 Samuel 20 in verse 3, and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. Watch this. He tells Jonathan, But truly as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a, de- a step between me and death. Wow. David says, my life is hanging by a thread. I make the wrong move. I'm gone. Your dad has all the power. He's got all the authority. He has the ability to go ahead and say the narrative and make the whole kingdom hate me. You ever been there? I have. But beside that verse, on verse 3, I wrote something. Jonathan was reminded by David, there's just a step between me and death. But in right beside that verse, you might want to write this. And there's just a step between Jonathan and the kingdom. There's just a little step between Jonathan and the kingdom. You say, what are you saying? If you go to end of this chapter, in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 20, Saul sees Jonathan's loyalty to David, and he reminds him of something that maybe Jonathan forgot. Look at verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. What does he tell him in verse 31? He says, Jonathan, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth, that's David, upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Look up for just a moment. Dad pulls his son aside and says, do you understand that you're next in line for this kingdom? Do you understand when I relinquish the crown, it becomes your crown. When I step aside from the throne, it becomes your throne. All the kingdom, all the power, all the glory, all the money, all the prestige, all of it. Jonathan, you're next in line. Why are you choosing David over all that you stop and think with me how easy it would have been for him to betray David all he had to do was whisper in dad's ear where David was and Saul would have taken David out and Jonathan uh, David would have never even known who betrayed him I wonder what your price is tonight I wonder who you really are. I wonder what you'd ultimately sell out a friendship for. Could I say this? Every time you gossip, you're selling out a friend. Every time you tear down your husband or your wife to someone else, you're selling out a friend. Every time you talk about your preacher with his back turned, you're selling out a friend. Y'all with me? Every time you talk bad and down somebody else that's a fellow brother or fellow sister, You're selling out a friend. Jonathan was the greatest soldier and the most loyal friend I can find in Scripture next to my Savior. He could have had it all. All he had to do was whisper to his dad 
where David was. But rather than sell out his friend, rather than sell out that friend, you know what he did instead? He chose to stay loyal to him and die an ignominious death with his messed up dad rather than betray a friend. Wow. This is an amazing guy, and I want to say this tonight. Every David needs a Jonathan. Amen? I could just add it. Every Christian needs some Jonathans. Aren't they refreshing? You never have to worry about what they're saying about you outside the room. You never have to worry about what their loyalties ultimately are. You just know they're for something bigger than self. Every husband needs a Jonathan in his wife. And every wife needs a Jonathan from her man. When her back is turned, she doesn't have to worry about what internet sites he's visiting. Every pastor needs a Jonathan in his people, and every church member needs a Jonathan from God's man. I'm telling you tonight, in this cheap political arena and this fast-paced, selfish society, I'm just telling you tonight, Jonathan's are worth millions. They are so refreshing. And Jonathan's don't just happen. They're made. Amen? And every one of us in this area, we ought to grow. We should grow into being a fellow soldier. As fellow soldiers, I wrote this in my notes, we're not fighting for a position. We're not fighting for power. We're not fighting when we sing up here for the praise of men. I've been in churches. That's what happened. We're fighting for his kingdom. We're fighting for his cause. We're fighting for his name. We're fighting for his glory. Amen? I got a little thing I wrote, and I thought to myself, what's the difference between a politician and a soldier? One of the signs, by the way, a fella told me about, he was in a forward operating base in Fallujah. And the sign posted outside of the Marine Corps forward operating base, it was a big sign. He said to me, here's what it said. The Marines are here. America's at the mall. The politicians are out to lunch. (laughs) Boy, does that sum it up from the fighting heart of the men and women out in the front lines. But here's what I wrote. Politicians versus soldiers, because oftentimes we're just political friends. We're not real. We really don't want to pay a price. We just want to make people think we care. Politicians have interests. Soldiers have friends. Their life depends on it. Politicians talk. Soldiers act. Amen? Politicians get involved. Soldiers get committed. Politicians expect others to sacrifice for them. Soldiers expect to be sacrificed for others. Amen? You know, if that's the difference, what are you tonight, a politician or a soldier? It ultimately can be answered in your attitude toward others and your decision to lay down your life for others. Fellow soldiers 
do two things. If you're taking notes, number one, they stay committed to their cause. Amen? They don't cut and run. Don't you like what Job said, speaking about his heart for the Lord? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Amen? And we're living in a day-to-day where it doesn't take much to see somebody cut out and bug out on the Lord and decide not to serve him. You know what I mean? Some little offense. That's it. I didn't get treated well. I didn't get treated well. I'm out of here. Here, you can, Sarge, you can go ahead and have the weapon. I'm not fighting anymore. <laughs> it just hurt too much. Man, I, I look at American Christianity, I feel like saying, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, this is just, ah. We won't endure hardness. We get offended and we say, I'm out of here. Listen, fellow soldiers, could I say this tonight? We stay committed to our cause because our cause isn't self. Our cause is the Savior. Do you know of his kingdom there shall be no end? Did you read the final chapter? Did you see how this whole sucker ends? We're on a winning side. Why would you quit a team like that? I've never figured that. You don't want to know why? Because you aren't walking with the captain of your faith. If you're walking with the captain of your faith, he'd remind you what the final score is. He'd remind you that my kingdom isn't down here. It's up there. He'd remind you that it's eternal. It's, it's undimmed. It will never fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. You and I quit that kingdom because we think we got a better one. And oftentimes the kingdom is simply king I. That's not soldiering. Soldiers don't fight for self, they fight for others. Amen? They stay committed to their cause. They, they wait till the end of cessations of combat and all of the action is over. Then they say, mission accomplished. Now we go home. Amen? And while you're here, you're not home. So put on the gospel armor and stay committed to your cause. Amen? But second of all, fellow soldiers stay faithful to their friends. I'm just going to make an observation, but we have a loyalty problem today with one another. You know what I'm saying? We do. We, we really have a struggle with being loyal to others besides self. It's very conditional. Fellow soldiers don't do that. They do not cut and run, and they keep their friends covered. Why is that important? Pastor Tony and I just illustrated something. We noted the back-to-back relationship. Go to James chapter 5 with me, and I want to show you why we need each other and why you should always hold your position. First of all, stay faithful to your king. You don't quit serving the Lord. He never did you wrong. He's only done you right. Amen? I don't care what other soldiers do. You keep your eye on him. But number two, you as a soldier cannot cannot control another soldier. You can only control yourself, and you need to hold your position and stay faithful to your friends. Notice what's said in James. We're reminded of something here. In James chapter 5, and notice in verse 16, the Bible says this, Confess your faults. Circle that word. Just circle it. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Notice this, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Did you circle the little word false there? He says, confess your faults one to another. What does that infer? 
<laughs> you and I have problems. We got faults. Amen? We have faults. We're flawed. We haven't arrived. Amen? I love what Brother Prisk used to say. He was so funny. You remember Brother Prisk, but he would look around and he'd go, here a flaw, there a flaw, everywhere a flaw, flaw. <laughs> We're flawed individuals. Amen? I said it this morning. I'm going to say it again. I've met people, I promise you, when I say, and see, here's how you get me. You say, you are a flawed individual. Now it becomes personal. You know what I mean? And I actually watch people sometimes, they have the attitude like, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, the Bible says you are. Oh, I know, but. And then they go through this whole thing of, I'm trying to think where I'm flawed. I, I really can't think of an area I'm flawed. Well, you have a big flaw now. Amen. <laughs> it's the worst of all. It's the flaw of pride. It's blinded you. Here a flaw, there a flaw, <laughs> everywhere a flaw, flaw. <laughs> and you know what those flaws do? They're represented by something. You see, why we need each other so much, especially in this day, Christian, that three-front battle, the devil, the world, and my old sin nature, I'm constantly under attack by all three. I need friends to close rank with me. I need people to pray with me and for me and lift me up. You do too. And here's the thing. As this battle gets desperate, we go back to back. You need to recognize as an individual that every single one of us has a backside. Amen? Could I tell you something about your backside? No, this is good. You might want to write this down because you use this. Those of you, jail ministry, you, you, I'm I promise you, your marriage, you'll use this. The first thing I know about your backside is it's unlovely. It's not your pretty side. Amen? It's unlovely. Did you ever notice when you get ready for church? You never check this. You just check this. Now some of you are getting really world worried. Uh-oh, man, maybe I you know, get those mirrors. The first thing about your backside is it's unlovely. Could I say tonight, some of you have some emotional backsides. They're not pretty. You've got some unlovely emotional backsides. Some of you have bitterness backsides. Some of you have temper backsides. Y'all with me? Could I get an Amen. We faulted flawed individuals. Help me. Would you quit acting like you don't? Yes, you do. You see, because you, some of you have spiritual backsides. You have big gaps spiritually. You are not what you ought to be spiritually. And as soon as you get squeezed or something comes on, whoa, everybody sees it. You know what I'm saying? You have spiritual backsides. You, some of you have financial backsides. Some of you have, you, some of you have character backsides. You all with me? You want to know why? Because we're not divine. We're flawed because we're dust. So the first thing I know about every one of us as soldiers, we have a backside. 
And the first thing about that backside is it's unlovely. But number two, here's the thing, it's unseen by you. Everybody else has a nice view. Hey, everybody else can see what your issues are, but you can't. All you see is their issues. Y'all with me? Been there, done that. I mean, the mode and the bean? Hmm? Your backside is very unlovely, but for you it's very unseen. You don't see it. Everybody else does. But thirdly, I want to say this, it's unprotected. It is your weak area. It is the area that will be most quickly exploited by the devil to go ahead and discredit you to others. Scripture talks about a man who has a temper. He becomes an unwalled village. And what that simply means is he's open to every criticism that comes his way because he can't control his temper. And you know something about your backside when others see it? It's unlovely. It's unseen by you, but it's unprotected. It becomes the reason they feel justified in sometimes taking you out or talking about you. You all with me? I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what your backside is. It's unprotected. And people say to me all the time, well, why? well you know, we're saved and, and you know, we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why do we have backsides? Why do you have weak areas in your Christian life, though you may have been saved for years? Why do you have these exposed areas that shouldn't, maybe shouldn't be there, but they're there? Why do you have the baggage you just won't jettison from the past? You drag around. Why? Well, first of all, we have backsides because we're different stages of growth. Amen? You've got some new believers here. And I'm going to tell you that, you know, they come in just raw recruit material. You know what I mean? They can say the craziest things. We're different stages of growth. We have different personalities. I don't care how you slice it, but the personalities figure into some of that. We have different training as we grew up as new believers, what was important and what wasn't. And fourthly, I wrote this down, we have different life experiences. Sometimes betrayal itself creates a backside in every one of us called bitterness, and we don't want to trust someone else. But regardless of how it happens, you have a backside, I have a backside. It's, it's, un, it's unlovely, it's unseen by us, and it's unprotected, and this is the area the devil's going to come. Pastor, oh, don't come. I want, I want a volunteer tonight, okay? Here's who I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that has a vehicle that when you open the door, you have to kick all the trash out of the way to find the pedals. Who here is married to somebody like that? Just, I'm being serious. Raise your hand. Sister, you're married to somebody like that? All right. Where is he? Where is he? He's on vacation. Okay. Does he know you say this when I, okay, I, I asked, I guess. Okay. Somebody here tonight who has a vehicle, you say, this is my vehicle, a guy. I'm looking for a guy. Don't just, it's okay. It's a good illustration. It's a good illustration, brother. Come on. Come on. Thank you. 
Amen. Appreciate you, brother. Amen. What's your name? Scott. Scott. So you have that kind of vehicle, huh? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you, just, you just throw it over there, don't you? Okay. Yeah. Who sits over there? Nobody, nobody. <laughs> now, Brother Scott and I are going to illustrate something here because, you know, with our backsides when we find them, the devil wants us to do something with it, but God wants us to do something with it, and it's opposite. So, let me tell you my long suit. I'm disciplined. I'm neat. I'm clean. I'm punctual. If you tell me to be there at a certain time, you can ask my wife. I am absolutely chewing my fingernails if it doesn't look like we're going to hit the target time. Brother Steve, why are you covering this? I, I, that's just me. That's my long suit, okay? You understand? Now, with a long suit comes a short suit. I can cut you down quickly if you don't measure up. You with me? My personality doesn't understand slobs. I just don't. I don't. I don't understand them. Okay? Because that's not my backside. Amen? That's my long suit. That's my front. I promise you, brother, this is a good illustration, okay? Don't, don't bail on me, soldier. Hold your position, okay? But now here's what I've noticed. A slob, usually his backside, he's just not neat, clean, whatever. You know what? Most slobs I've met have a real long-suffering spirit. That's their long suit. You know what I'm saying? But that's my short suit. See, my backside is an impatient spirit. His front side is a patient spirit. My front side is I'm not a slob. I'm meticulous, ordered, disciplined. His backside is he's not that. So here's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to find that backside and then exalt yourself at his expense because I'm not a slob. He is and then elevate myself and use that against him to lift up me. But you know what the Lord wants? He wants his long suit, patience, kindness, to guard my impatient spirit. And he wants my strong side, discipline and order, to protect his weak side, undisciplined, etc. The devil wants me to do this. The Lord wants me to do this. And when you find the flaw that every soldier has, when you find those flaws that every spouse has, when you find the flaws that every pastor has or every brother or sister in the Lord has, what you do when you find it does not define them. It defines you. Do you guard it? Do you minimize it? Do you hide it? You don't repeat it? You encourage and build him and guard him. And does he do the same for me? Thank you, brother. Was that a happy ending? Amen. <laughs> Appreciate it.
Let me tell you something. I've been around long enough to know this. We need more soldiers of the cross tonight. We need more Christians that not only recognize they're flawed, but so are others. And when they find those flaws, they don't use that against them, but they choose to cover them, guard them, strengthen them, and build them rather than tear them down. Notice what Jesus Christ did for us in John 15 as I close tonight. In John 15, notice this is not a lengthy message tonight. I want to give you this to chew on and to think about, to ask yourself, am I a soldier of the cross? Whose kingdom do I ultimately fight for? Do I stay loyal to my friends? In John 15, notice what's said here in verse number 12. Jesus Christ said this, this is my commandment. John 15, 12, that ye love one another as I have loved you. In verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know the greatest soldier of all time is Jesus Christ. Scripture says that God commended his love toward you and me, which means proved it, in that while we were yet sinners, flawed, faults galore, filthy, defiled, that Christ then died for us. God gave his best when you were at your worst. He saw all your faults and needs and says, that's why I came. And he covered you with the blood of Calvary. He covered all of those deficiencies. He went back to back for you. Amen? And you know what he says? When you find those faults, you find those sins, you find those problems, don't ignore them. Don't act like they're not there. But go instead of, instead of going ahead and using them against the person, cover them, love on them, and bring them to a Savior that covers all that sin. And by the way, you know what I learned a long time ago? If all I do is see your backside, and that's all I'm looking for, then I have an exposed one as well. Amen? You hear a message like this, and this is what you say. Who's a soldier to me? Who's going back to back with me? Who's got me covered? That isn't the question you should ask. The question you should ask is who am I covering? You can't control what someone does for you, but you can control what you do for someone else. And by the way, this is how friendships get born that last forever. I've often thought, how is it that some guy from the ghetto of Chicago, late in life, lying on his deathbed. I have some fellow from the East Coast, the Kentucky farmland. He'll fly all the way across country to visit him. You say, how could two old guys that opposite? Spend? You know what? They served in a foxhole together. And each relied on the other for their life. They held each other's life in their hands. As we were driving here, we were reflecting on the friendships that we enjoy. Deb has pictures of people that stretch coast to coast. And she says, huh, and we, 
got a lot of faithful friends. And I said, we do, we're blessed. But I said, hon, did you ever figure out how we got those friends? She says, I know. We were a friend as well. We stretched our necks out for others. We found problems with people and decided we'd help them instead of try to hurt them. Oh, I've betrayed confidences in my early years. And I remember the betrayal look of somebody. I said, why did you share that with someone else? That was a private matter. We learned the cost of betrayal. We saw the pain in people's eyes that would never trust us again. And along the way, we've learned somehow by the grace of God to be a friend to others. And we've learned along the way that has taught others to be a friend as well. And he who has friends is not poor. They're rich. Amen. And so tonight, as we think about this thought, I say this in closing. The household of Epaphroditus is face-to-face -face fellowship, side-by-side -side laboring for the Lord, and back-to-back -back faithful and loyal to our King and one another. It ought to be seen in your church right now. This ought to have relationships like that. But second of all, it ought to be seen in your home as well. And in this church and in your home, I pray you will find some Epaphroditus. Amen. Face to face, side by side, back to back. They are gems and treasures. May you be of the household of Epaphroditus. Let's stand. Commit these thoughts.